everybody out there. This is Tyler. And this is Danny. And it's time for another Fried Squirms. And for the first time in a while, I haven't already spent like two hours talking. And I feel like weirdly energized. And that's good because I think I'm going to need it to talk about this movie. Yeah, this movie packs in a lot. Oh, so much. Today, you've probably already read the uh, episode title, but we will be talking about House, not Hugh Laurie. <laughs> nope. And not to be confused with the 1980s film of the same name. Yeah, not to be confused with the 1986 film, not to be confused with the 1995 film, <laughs> not to be confused with the 2000 British comedy, and not to be confused with the 2008 horror film. We're going way back to the 1977 Japanese house. But before we do that, I think we got to get a little bit stoned. <sighs> it's definitely appropriate, man, considering what film we're reviewing today. I mean, what would be more appropriate might be some fucking acid, but... <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. One of these shows. <laughs> One of these shows. We're not going to drop any right now, though, because then we'd just be, like, oh, coming man. up for half the episode before it even kicked in. Wow. And then I fucking wouldn't get to sleep tonight, and I need to sleep tonight, I need to wake up tomorrow, I got shit to do. Anyway, let's get stoned, let's get in our green hits. Danny, what's this fucking wonderful, wonderful jade that you brought me? Oh man, super excited to bring this one back. This is a strain I have brought to the show, it's been a while, but this strain is Tropicana Cookies. It's one we typically get from Greener Pastures dispensary here in town, but... For those who are curious, this is a sativa-dominant hybrid, 70% sativa, 30% indica. It is crossed with the infamous Girl Scout cookies and the tangy strains. The effects on this is you'll feel calm, creative, energized, focused, maybe a little giggly, relaxed and sociable, so perfect setting for this. And the flavors on it, I did mention to you off air that this one has a particular tangerine kind of orangey mm -hmm. you know flavor all the way through man even after you put it out respark it you'll still get that but yeah i really enjoy it thc ranges somewhere in the upper 20s i can't remember which, exactly the numbers on this particular strain but they are relatively true to what these numbers say oh yeah today for you i brought some bluey i'm gonna give you a little bluey here in the studio <laughs> Let's see. The genetics on Bluey is it is a cross between Blue Cookies and Blue Dream. Blue Cookies is Girl Scout cookies with blueberry. Blue Dream is blueberry with haze. So love it already. That's like half blueberry. Yeah. A little bit of some extra goodness thrown in there. Yeah. I like all three of those strains you had mentioned in blueberry being one of my favorite. So that means it's going to end up technically being an indica dominant hybrid but not by much it's going to be just over the line in indica territory okay. pretty evened up though with the the haze thrown in there and i i don't know just should be a good time should i think be a good so time. I enjoy I, i've it. been enjoying it so far this week i did mean to get down to one of the other dispensaries in town this morning and check out what they had going and then it's been snowing all day and i'm week on foot, two and i was like yeah <laughs> fuck this noise I got a little bit of weed. Let's just smoke that weed. <laughs> no, I don't blame you, man. That's why it's nice to stockpile every now and then. But you're right. This is like the second week of our late winter here in Montana. And you know what? I probably would have done it too if there would have been more time for people to have shoveled off some shit. But oh, dude, it's nasty When I would have been walking this morning, people would have still been in the middle of shoveling yeah, no, shit. Fuck that. I wasn't going to be doing that bullshit. So. Don't blame you. 
let's spark these up and we'll get into the guts and bolts of house. Guts and hey, bolts? Houses have bolts, right? Yeah, man. This, this house it's has appropriate. guts. It does. Yeah. Okay. This is a good appropriate one, isn't it? <laughs> guts and bolts. All right. Guts and bolts. 1977 Japanese house. First, we try to start with a spoiler-free setup for this movie. Any spoiler-free setup isn't going to do this movie justice. So I'm going to do a spoiler-free setup. Then I'm going to just name off a couple of the other ways that people have tried to describe <laughs> this movie. All still keeping rather spoiler-free, but... Oh, man, because it's something else. It's something else. A schoolgirl invites her friends to go with her to stay at her aunt's house for the summer. Haunting-type stuff ensues. Now, some of the descriptions is things like... Japanese Evil Dead. <laughs> what is Scooby-Doo is directed by Mario Bava. Okay. Okay. I like that too. That's pretty good. There was one other one that I really liked. I wish I would have... I don't know. It's... It's, okay. it's something else. Oh, yeah. How about um, Evil Dead meets Suspiria? I would not argue with that either. So, pretty good descriptors. Don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. It is something else to get into. And that's the closest I can get without actually giving anything away. So, <laughs> Well, I think that's a very good spoiler-free setup of what this film entails. And, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film and the actors and actresses in front of the cameras. And this week, our director and one of our producers on the project is Nobuhiko Obayashi. And uh, Nobuhiko is a very prominent Japanese film director. Unfortunately, he did pass away last year. Mm from stage four lung cancer. So oh, something he battled with, if I'm not mistaken, since 2016. He was only expected to live a few months when he was first diagnosed, but, you know, four years later. So not too bad. But anywho, Nobihiku, from the little bit that I read over the weekend, I knew that he was a part of this independent film group in Japan who were into, like, surrealism and avant-gardism and what have you back in the 1960s. And at the time, this is on the advent of television, like kind of taken off. And so he was approached, and so were his group of friends in that group. And he was the only one who was hired to direct a lot of TV commercials, and he experimented a lot. And because of that, Tohu approached him after he had written this project. And I'll get into it in the next section, all this kind of neat stuff tie in. But long story short, before he did House, he was known as a commercial director, and he actually did ads with such American stars as Kirk Douglas and Charles Bronson. And he also worked with uh, Sophie Loren and Catherine Deneuve. So some yeah. pretty damn big names, right? So anyhow, a really cool story about how this movie was pitched. There was a gap between him getting the job and then him getting the job, of course. But some of his early short films that gave him some recognition were the short films Complex and Emotion from 64 and 66 then he went on to do kind of a, a series of films in the 80s, starting off with the film IRU, You and Me, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, and Lonely Heart. These three films form the Onomichi trilogy, which is named after the town he was born in. And then he later did this film called uh, Chizuku's Younger Sister, which is also a film based out of uh, Onomichi. Mm. But because of all of this, he went on to direct uh, the 98 film Shada, which is about the 
story of Sada Abe, which is a true story. And he actually won the uh, Fipreski Prize, which is pretty neat. And uh, much later on, he actually earned the Blue Ribbon Award for Best New Director because of this film, too. So it took a while, man, but he finally got some recognition all these years later. So anywho, the story was written by Chigumi Obayashi and Chiho Katsura. And uh, Chigumi is actually the daughter of Nobihiko. She was like 10 or 11 at the time, and she kind of gave him some inspiration for some of the imagery and a lot of the plot lines in this film, mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool. But Chiho, some of uh, their projects, some pretty cool stuff. I was reading a little bit, like I said, over the weekend, of course, and during this time period, there was a string of films. They were known as Pinku Iga, which is pink cinema. So it was like the equivalent of softcore porn here in the States. Oh, shit. Okay. So that was kind of a big movement in Japan in so the, the 70s. Zalman King's Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of directors who were kind of going from like some major films to more like... They were trying to become the Zalman King. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So because of that, some of these titles that Chiho wrote, I was like, oh, I remember reading some of this and hearing about <laughs> some of this. So one of them is called Assault, Jack the Ripper, Rape, 13th Hour, Secret Honeymoon Rape Train. Like, Jesus Christ. Whoa. (laughs) Sins of Sister Lucia, Lady Black Rose. There's actually a film called Raping. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there's just a slew of them. Dude, we get shit from some of our coworkers for the films that we already cover. What if we were going to tell them, (laughs) yeah, so this week we're going to watch this flick. It's called Raping. Exclamation point. (laughs) Like, did you have to do that exclamation? Yes, yes. Had to put emphasis there. So, yeah, interesting enough. All right, the cinematographer is Yoshitaka Sakamoto. And uh, Yoshitaka, known for some pretty cool films, too. Such films as Are You, You Are Me. The films His Motorbike, Her Island, which there's an actor who actually starred in that. The film The Discarnates, which is actually another uh, Nobuhiku film. The film She's Rain. And such things as Spellbound from 99. Azumi 2, Death or Love, The Ramen Girl, which actually starred Brittany Murphy. That one kind of surprised me what? when I'd seen that. Yeah, I was like, that name sounds familiar. What? Yeah, and I looked it up, and sure enough, she stars in it. And the films A Sower of Seeds and A Sower of Seeds Part 2, which came out in 2012 and 2015, respectively. Those still sound like softcore porn. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> the editor is Nobuo Ogawa, and Nobuo is known for such things as City of Beasts from 1970, the films The Gate of Youth, the film Older Brother, Younger Sister, such films as Muddy River from 1981, Lake of Illusions, The Sting of Death, and more recently, The Buried Forest from 2005. We have music composed by AC Kobayashi and Miki Yoshino. Actually, the band who did the soundtrack, to have to mention them, Godaigo. There's a couple of men. Actually, the whole oh, band, yeah. you get to they see them. Up. Yeah, which is really cool. So, I say... He's actually a actor in this film as well. I will mention that when we get into the credits. But just a few things of note from uh, Asay is he's known for Beast King Gold Lion, which is kind of oh, like no Voltron. Shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know what Beast King Gold Lion is. <laughs> yeah. Also for uh, Gachaman from 1972 through 1974 and the 1972 through 1973 series Kaiketsu Rayon Maru, which is funny because Rayon is lion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, that's funny. All right, and uh, Miki Yoshino, he's known for such things as Swing Girls from 2004, 
Yorosai Yatsura from 1981 in Kids, not the Harmony Queen film, but the 1985 <laughs> film Kids. Uh, so don't get those two confused. All right. This was produced by Tomiyuki Tanaka, Yorohiko Yamada, and Nobuhiko Obayashi. Production companies were PSC and Toho Company. The distributor was yeah, Toho. Toho, yeah. The Toho Company for the 1977 Japanese and United States theatrical releases. It had a release date on July 30th, 1977 in Japan and September 1977 here in the States. And there is a tagline. I was like, yes. <laughs> so the tagline is, house is calling to you. Come back home and marry me. <laughs> I, You know, that's as good a tagline as any, really. <laughs> I don't know what I would tagline this movie with. I don't either. That's I was like, yes, that's different. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I would make the tagline just the entire song from the end sequence. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> that awesome. That entire song is the tagline. Or, I mean, I even wrote it down. There's like a, a very final quote at the end that kind of encompasses this film in a mm. way. But anywho. Oh, I know. you. Yeah. No, actually, that's a really good tagline. That's a really good tagline. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about it. I have it written down, so... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving into our cast, I'm going to lead off with Kimiko Ikigami. She plays the role of Gorgeous. I think her Japanese name in this is Oshire, which means fashionable, so it has a little different meaning. But anyhow, some films of note from her, she was in such films as Winter's Flower, The Man Who Stole the Sun, The Geisha, and A Chaos of Flowers. All right, I have Miki Jinbo. She plays the role of Kung Fu. She is in such films as The Possessed and Women Who Do Not Divorce. Like, All right. Tell him, sister. <laughs> All right. I have A. Matsu Bara. She plays the role of Professor or Gari in the film. And some films of note from her, she was in The Visitor in the Eye and the Shogun television movie and miniseries. All right. I have Kumiko Oba. plays the role of Fantasy. Some things of note from her, she was in the 1990 television series Tales of the Bazaar. She was also in Red Dead Wagon 20, Blood Requiem, and the film Bashment. Now, I think it's only been since the Criterion release that the subtitles give her name as Fantasy rather than Fanta. Which makes total sense. Fanta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I have Miko Sato. She plays a role of Mac, short for stomach, <laughs> in the film. <laughs> but some things of note from her, she was in the films Young People and Wahori Days. I have Iriko Tanaka. She plays a role of Melody. And honestly, this is the only film of note from her. Oh, shit. Yeah. We have Masayo Miyoko. She plays the role of Sweet. And the only film I have a note outside of house is The Visitor in the Eye. Look, no shit. If I was Eriko Tanaka, Melody, mm -hmm. I'd be trying to become a fucking character actor. She seems she poised was, to become a great character actor. She did a really actor. good job. I mean, they all do. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I would agree with you there. All right. So moving forward, I have Yoko Minamira. She plays the role of Auntie in the film. And Yoko, she's got some really cool films, actually, that she's been in. If you go back, she's been in such things as Samurai no Ko, which is a 1963 film. She was in, more recently, a 2004 film called The Reason. God, yeah, she goes all the way back to the 50s with some of these things. I think a lot of samurai films, essentially. Mm. Yeah, she was in such things as, like, Escape from the Wall of Death, We Live Today. Yeah, Tokyo Nights from 1961. Yeah, then she started getting into, like, these taxi driver films. So, yeah, she's been in a ton of films, man, but... She was one of the few noted actresses, like the young girls in this film. 
they were all models or did like some television work as far as commercial work with Nobuhiko. All right. So moving forward, I have Kiyohiko Ozaki. He plays the role of、uh, Sasuke Togo, Mr. Togo.、Mm-hmm. And the only other film of note I have for him is his motorbike, Her Island. I have Saho Sasazawa. He plays the father of Gorgeous. The only other film of note I have for him is Trail of Blood. And last but not least, I have Horoko Wanabuchi. She plays the role of Ryoko Ima. And she's got some pretty cool stuff. She was actually in. Okay, she was in such things as 1964's Melody of Crime, Sleepy Eyes of Death, A Tale of Traps from 67. She was in Rashomon from 1977. She was in the 1979 film no, she, Devil's Flute. She was in Rashomon? Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. She was also in One Missed Call Part Two. I was like, that's、mm. pretty cool. Yeah, that from 2005. She was in a television series, Ghost Friends from 2009. And more recently, she was in Neo Ultra Q as Misuzu in 2013. So. I didn't mention too that one of the musicians or one of the composers in this, I say, he plays the role of the watermelon vendor. So I didn't want to mention、ah. that. So, but outside of that, that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should、I、give you some warnings. Warnings, dismemberment, technically. Yeah, technically. I mean, there's blood and gore, technically, but none of it's that、yeah. bad. No, no, no. There's technically there's cannibalism. Yeah, same. Yeah, technically there's cannibalism. It's not really highlighted though. No, but it's there. There are some boobs towards the end. Yes. Yeah, just your basic. I don't even think there's much language, if at all. I can't think if there's any language. Like, so there's some violence, just a little bit, but not a whole lot. But there's some scenes here and there.、Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. It gets real and fucking wacky. Right. It's a wacky fucking movie. Yeah, you、It's、know, hence our opening. <laughs> <laughs>、yeah, I agree. So that's the warning. Like, at times, this movie is a fucking acid flashback. Man, trippy. That's your fucking warning. Let's just talk about House. Oh, actually, I wanted to make one technical note before we talk about it. Yeah, dude. Sometimes, as we pointed out in the very beginning, there's a shit ton of other movies named House.、Uh, <laughs> so sometimes this is distinguished from the others by being called Houseu, because that's the romanization、yeah. of House from Japanese. However, even in Japan, is titled House because it was meant to make it seem more taboo. Exactly. So that's cool. But because there's so many other movies named House. Occasionally, you're going to find it under Houseu, and that's probably going to be make sure just that you make sure you're clicking the right one. You know what、that's、I mean? That's a good solid point. <laughs> All right, now let's find out how House made us squeal. How does that make you squeal, dude? What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> I know, man. I think that's everybody's first or initial reaction after you watch this film. Like, holy shit, this was bonkers in a fun, like a really fun way, but just bonkers. Right, you've seen this before. I had. I'd only seen. Well, let's see. I watched this like one and a half times. One time、okay. fully. I think a half time because I watched this with Jeff and wound up like passing out somewhere in between. But he wound up finishing it, so I'm happy that he did because he said the same thing. He's like, "Oh, you guys are gonna review that bonkers Japanese film." I was like, "Yeah, be more specific than that." <laughs> <laughs> like we already did Visitor Q. We already. Jeez. Yeah, we got. We did Tokyo. We've got a little、police. bit of a, a laundry list. We already watched some guys turn into a fucking penis tank, dude. Think about yeah, with imprint and Shinya Tsukamoto stuff. <laughs> yeah, so 
anywho, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Like, what did I just watch? And the fun thing, once again, about what we get to do is we have the advantage of watching films more than once, typically. So we get to pick up on little nuances or maybe in our case, we get to do a little bit more research and find out some interesting little tidbits about the film that goes beyond just the surface level viewing. So this was great. I found the other description that I was trying to from earlier. And so I'll bring this up right now in this first beginning part. I used to read a shit ton of crack.com because their listicles used to be fucking hilarious back in like 2004 through 2010. I feel like the past decade, the writings went downhill a little bit, but those initial ones when they'd only do maybe like one or two a week and they'd really put the time in on it. Fucking great. There was one that they did back. I can't quite remember how old that one was. 2010, so like right at the end of that little time period, when I was still reading it weekly, there was one that was five most baffling horror movies from around the world. Number five was House. Gotcha. We might have to cover number one, by the way, because it sounds fucking brilliantly bonkers. (laughs) But it was described as, if an alien who had just landed on Earth cornered you one day and asked, hey, what's with all the internet jokes about Japan being really weird? You could show him this movie, and he would say, oh... And then leave planet Earth forever. I mean, that's funny, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think this film would make them leave forever. It no, would make Tokyo them. Tokyo Gore Police would. Oh, yeah. Anything like that. Like ultra violent, gory. This is like more amusing. Like, well, what else you got? <laughs> yeah, it is weird as shit, though. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So I didn't see it until last night. And, you know, as we are wont to do for the show, I got a little high beforehand. I was sitting there, I was going to turn it on, and, you know, stoned every once in a while, like, your mind wanders sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And knowing that I was going to watch it again, I didn't think that that was a problem at first. I sort of started, you know, taking a look down at my fucking Fallout shelter, seeing what was going on, and then I kept looking back up at the screen and being like, what the fuck's going on? I can't follow this at all. And I ended up getting, like, ten minutes into the movie... And having to stop it, rewind it all the way to the beginning, put my phone in the other fucking room, and like, okay, what's actually going on? And that was only 10 minutes in. I mean, there's a lot of Also, I had to be like, am I watching the right fucking movie? Luckily, the title sequence, like, I was like, okay, this seems like a horror title sequence. But the first 20 minutes of the movie is what like a teenage girl sitcom commercial yeah 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 yeah. it really is it's very glamorized and it has this very dreamy like quality to it Mm -hmm. like you said like for television or commercialized style yeah so you're like is this the right film (laughs) what's going on this seems too cheery luckily like three four minutes in you get that title sequence and the title sequence is let you know crazy Right, right off the bat, let you know. Something's a little off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get that, like, they have all the fucking summer plans. Most of them are going off to camp. Fucking gorgeous. Her dad's rich, and she's going to go do other shit until she finds out she's not going to go do other shit because she has a new stepmom coming. And so she's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go do other shit and invite all my friends to come with me to my aunt's house who I haven't seen in 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that's sometimes you got to do what you got to do when you're a teenager. What the fuck? 
Yeah, that was some teenage angsty, I'm going to show my dad, you know, in spite. So it's a little different, man. I don't know if I would have gone that route. Right. So, okay. This is the section where we don't care so much about spoilers. And this, upon rewatch, was one of the things that had me kind of wondering. And especially just because we watched Time Crimes not so long ago. And maybe is my own personal theory for how that works within the shit that we see the in frame. this movie. I kind of feel like because in the future from that moment, her aunt slash the house intertwines itself with her. God, this is going to sound weird. When it makes its timeline part of hers, that means all of her timeline is part of theirs, not just from that part on. Right. Even though it happens in the future. So she has some influence over what's to come, thanks to what she's already done it. Weird fucking time loop, you know what I'm saying? We just got done watching Time Crimes, so... Yeah, it's not something easy to explain. Even in layman terms, it's it's still a little confusing. But that would make it easy to be like... It would be kind of like the aunt the entire time was kind of just had like a magic security camera set up in her house just waiting for the right moment to be like, oh, this is the time when I have to nudge her towards my place. I know that it happens at some point. Like, this is the part where where I have to give her the nudge. What I thought was clever use of framing, so to speak, in this film was the introduction to the future stepmom. Mm-hmm. And how you see, like, it appears to be some kind of, like, shelving or what have you. And it has some, like, panes or, like, these little cutout window, you know, panes in them. And it gives you, like, this fragmented view of characters in certain Mm. you know scenes or what have you and i was like that's kind of interesting right there because that's a way of storytelling as well letting you know that not everything is as hunky-dory as it appears to be there's maybe some outside influence going on right she's drifting in like this dream but they're still separated within the frame no i know some of it is a metaphor for and he liked to do this he was known for this so this isn't a secret anymore but nobuhiko liked to use young girls who still had this innocence about them kind of you know, this carefree attitude, not a, you know, like a, a real understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. And then they're put in these situations where they have to confront the harsh reality of life and what have you. So you kind of sense that too. Well, spoilers in this one, the harsh reality of life doesn't get a chance to teach them any lessons. <laughs> no. They all just fucking die. Yeah, I say it's too late. <laughs> yeah, that was the consequence, unfortunately. But do you want to watch a house eat fucking seven girls or however many of them there are? Yeah. Here you go. This is that movie. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> yeah, which even I thought that was clever, the use of seven. It's no coincidence. And I saw somebody ascribe it to Disney had its seven dwarves with Snow White. Akira Kurosawa had his seven samurai. And now Obayashi has his seven damsels in distress. <laughs> so I thought that was clever because you, you can't help but notice kind of stuff like that. Oh. Even with the character names, I mean, come on. Wait, here's another good description of it that I think you'll like. David Lynch's more colorful Suspiria. <laughs> yeah, I could see that too, yeah. <laughs> I like that. You could really ascribe it to certain film directors because of the way they film, man. David Lynch is a good way of maybe describing a little bit of this shit. Mm-hmm. Totally. So back with the original training camp fucking trip plans and even with who was supposed to meet them at auntie's house what's up with mr togo wanting to hook up with like uh 
these all girls, of them? well, yeah, but you know, one in, in particular wants his dick. Right, but, but they're all like they wouldn't reject they're, it. Yeah, they're all like, "Oh, Mr. Toko's so manly." Yeah, gosh. except for I think Mac is like, "Wait, what? Is it Mac or Prof who's like, wait, what? Who the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah, because then we see Togo and he's just a giant fucking goof. Yeah, and you're like, "Yeah, that's weird." Yeah, which is funny and like it's cute. I mean, yeah, and, like, of course. It's kind of that's part of that whole like sitcom-y first half. Absolutely, where it's all innocent. It's just. A girl crush. This guy's just kind of playing along. You know what I mean? But from the outside, it can be a little weird. <laughs> and then you get the introduction of Blanche, who's like one of the cutest fucking kitties in the world. Man, what a cat, dude. If you're going to cast a cat for any film. What? Yo, dude, Whoa. they fucking lucked out with that cat. Yeah. Adorable. Nailed it. <laughs> fucking adorable. Togo waking up in the morning when he's supposed to meet them for the trip to Auntie's house is super fucking sitcom-y. Yeah. It's some of his use like, from short films and what have you, yeah. It's like a 90s sitcom opening credits theme montage. Yeah, that whole sequence, that whole morning sequence with the cobbler. and The little girl in that scene is actually Obayashi's daughter, mm. Chigumi. It's like that a 90s cool. sequence, and this was done in 77. Yeah, they were ahead of it. It's their fucking time. brilliant. It's so fucking brilliant. Silly, funny, music that goes along with it's pretty cool. So yeah, I agree. When you get to the train trip is when things get stylized. Dude, that oh, was awesome. Before we get too far along the road, I deciphered some of my notes and I realized something I was going to bring up. Part of the reason why I wonder if her touching the timeline in the future meant that her presence was always there was because you get that little bit of fantasy telling gorgeous when she takes her picture like now nah, you look like a fucking witch for a minute oh no i that was like one of my first notes it's like the opening photo session foreshadows gorgeous's fate essentially mm-hmm. and she's like yeah she's like why were you staring at me it's like because you look like a witch in a horror movie <laughs> like that's funny while she's kind of weirdly dressing up like her mom that's another one of those things the connection kind of like bones last week mm-hmm. blood and involved the house coincidentally enough so little threads like that make sense there's little connections you know it wasn't played into enough to make me think it was intentionally trying to do this but it did make me wonder for a minute if it was supposed to make you think about what's her view of her mom how much of it is just her making it up yeah considering mm-hmm. yeah but she would have been young young wrong. yeah i like if this girl is like 15, 16 years old, you know, something like that, she would have been five or six. So you can't really trust that memory too much. But then that's not really something that ever plays into the plot. So. No, 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 no. But I know you're saying that. All right. So here's something I mentioned to you. Yeah. There was one line. It doesn't change anything really in the outcome of the film. It's just something I noticed between the two transfers I watched. One is from Eureka. One is the Criterion Collection. Right. And I think the Criterion... People, I would say it's probably better transcribed because in the Eureka version of this, when the dad is introduced and he's coming back from Italy, right? Mm -hmm. We find out that he's a composer because he says in line, Leone said my music was better than Morricone's. That's not what it says in the Eureka version. Oh shit, what does it say in the... It says Leone and Enio both liked my music. So it never oh. said that his music was better than Ennio Morricone's. It just said that they both liked his composition. Yeah. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder why they did that. Or if 
why was translated different? Right. That's that was the only line I noted that was different. Everything else is spot on. I was like, that was that was interesting. Maybe they were trying not to offend. Right. That's strange. Huh. That line stuck out to me anyway, because I was like, the fuck? Right, but you that's also that's one of those little nods to like mm. let you know that hey, I'm aware of these guys. I'm gonna put that in here. Because there's also like you already mentioned it, little fills of Argento with Suspiria and Mario Bava, things like that. So, all right. So the train trip is where it first starts to get really fucking trippy. I just like the hand-drawn train. That part was really fucking cool. Yeah, that was dope. I love the obvious painted backdrops. Mm, no doubt, <laughs> that's really good too. But you also get the weird stylized storytelling where she's telling her friends a story about her family that is presented to the audience as a film reel that is, in essence, a flashback that she has no way of having actually seen that the other girls are partaking in in the same way we are as a film reel. Yeah. And they're commentating on it as such rather than as a story that's being told to them. Right. It's like they are, uh, yeah, viewing the actual story as opposed to just audibly hearing it, yeah. And, and commenting on trip. it, it is. It's a fucking trip. Because they are, like, commenting on the, like, little background stuff, making little comments, like, mm -hmm. oh, that's cute, ha, ha, ha. That's one thing I noted, too, in this film, like, these girls are some gigglers, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they some giggly, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But I did like that, too. Also, we do have to mention, and it's not something that, you know, we're proclaiming. It's not the first time it's been said. But what I find interesting, too, is the social commentary that's weaved throughout this film because the director, he was seven when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and what have you. So in this film reel, it even explains like 1941, what's happening, who's being sent off to war, what happened. And then there's the plume, the mushroom cloud that you see. And one of the girls is like, oh, it looks like cotton candy. You know, so it shows you like the kind of youthful ignorance of that mm. because they're essentially a generation removed from those events. So they they don't have the same perception or reality that their parents or maybe their grandparents had of that situation. So there's a little bit of that in this film, just by some of the comments and the behavior these characters have. Right. Which I found interesting too, because you don't really have to read into it that way, but it is there. It's, you know, a part of the director's background. Oh, so <laughs> they have their own little adventures just trying to get there. 20 minutes into the movie, you get fucking girl introduction frames <laughs> yeah you do <laughs> you and i you almost shit myself fucking laughing <laughs> it is silly like all of this stuff at the beginning you could it's just chalk so, it up as being cute and just whimsical and like it's so silly and audacious it really is like how are you gonna just now play this you already gave me like a television show opening for Mr. Togo, mm -hmm. and now you're giving me fuck, the adventures of the yeah, <laughs> the adventure yeah is like fucking Milo Notice <laughs> meets fucking Cafeteria Girls. Uh, yeah, no doubt, right? <laughs> cafeteria Girls. So funny, man. <laughs> but that's what it feels like. And like I said, this is twenty minutes in. Yeah. We've been with these girls for multiple scenes now. We know who they all are. 
They've already been talking with each other. They've all already been doing a shit ton of things to establish each other's characters. Right, we Not understand. Not to mention that all of their names are fucking... It's on the nose. On the fucking nose. <laughs> I'm saying you get the a clearer idea of why they're on named on the nose that. is Mac. Right, and it takes a little while for them to explain, but it makes sense once it is explained. Right, because they just say it's stomach, right? Yeah. Which... I was really hoping for a minute when they first said Mac and I realized that everyone's names is like, oh, gorgeous. And like, oh, fantasy. Yeah. She's the one fucking, you know, double clicking it to Mr. Togo. And <laughs> yeah, I was thinking McDonald's and like American fucking fatty, fatty, boom, blatties. Like, yeah. Well, what I find funny. Fucking Big Mac over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's just pounding them away, but lunchbox here's the thing about it though is she's not a heavy girl no she's, really. she's kind of fit <laughs> you know maybe she's 1970s thick if you want to call it that japanese thick but so she's not really fat no she's kind of maybe average size like yeah. she's still not that big i'd say she yeah she's just normal size she's average size dude no wrong with that maybe she just likes an extra donut here and there an extra donut here or there. Like, seriously. Not like, a whole box of them. Just a single. <laughs> but you're right. The whole point between those two, like maybe what, five, ten minutes in versus the 20 minutes in, is you've already been introduced. We already know who these characters are. And then you get the reintroduction again. <laughs> it is silly. It's funny. And then they get sent up towards the house. Right. Here's, there's little tales here and there. Like, for instance, I think they're on a bus ride to mm-hmm. the countryside, but the guy who's in there with them, he kind of gets drawn back from the cat. They never make any observational commentary on that or anything like that, right? And then when they do get dropped off, the guy's like, I'm going this way, and the girls are they're not sure exactly which way to go, and it's the cat who kind of like directs, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. who's holding the cat happens to be gorgeous. <laughs> so there's even connections there, like, I know I'm jumping ahead, but the aunt talks about holding the cat and what it means, its significance, and the first encounters with Gorgeous and the cat. So, so with them no being mistake. pointed towards the house, though, being the horror aficionados that we are, <laughs> yeah. did the melon guy just jump out to you as being the fucking gas station attendant? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know what I'm getting at? Like, he's the fucking gas station attendant in Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> He's the Captain Spaulding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all of that stuff, man. He's the fucking, not necessarily the attendant, but he's the gas station stop in Tucker and Dale. Good point, yeah. (laughs) He's that moment of no return that's sort of warning you, like, shit's weird suddenly, because this guy ain't acting normal. No, he's off already. And things have already been kind of weird for you guys. And if you haven't been paying attention, you guys are kind of listening to a cat to get out here. Just went through a forest. The landscapes keep changing. And then even when he mentions the house, he says house in English. (laughs) Yeah, like something's up, dude. He's like, I'm not even going to try it. I'm just going to say he's like Japanese, 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 house, Japanese, Japanese. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, it's true, though. That's what's going on. So they get up there, and I think this is a good part to point out that I like how wacky this gets, and it doesn't throw me off because you realize at a certain point that this is one of those stories where as soon as they went on the trip, they were fucked. Oh, yeah, point of no return. The house is too powerful. Yeah, it's 
a little the shining esque too. I guess in mm-hmm. that realm, you know, once it's lured you in, you're kind of fucked. <laughs> so knowing what we know, Auntie is kind of not actually Auntie, and she's actually kind of the house, and they're kind of the same thing though at this point, and kind of just a hungry spirit because of the circumstances that she died in the house mm-hmm. with. But even if that wasn't the case, and she was simply as we see her when we first meet her, she kind of scored herself a pretty good setup for that fucking summer. Because as soon as the girls actually meet her, they're kind of ready to fucking wait on her hand and foot for the rest of the no fucking summer. No kidding. Yeah. And they're like, we're your guests. We're going to clean it up, cook it up. What do you need done? What, what it, do you need whatever. done? We're going to do it. Yeah, they were down. It's so sad that you've been up here by yourself for so long. We're just going to fix this place up for you. Yeah, they were about it, man. They were ready. I was like, damn, you don't see that very often, if at all, anymore. There's a part of me where, like, if Auntie was Auntie and not, like, (laughs) a raging spirit, like, like I said, at this point, it's debatable how much it is even Auntie and how much it's just, like, the whole place is a cursed place. You know what I mean? Exactly. But if it was just her as an avenging ghost i might have let this group of girls go and just been like yeah you know what i'm gonna let you girls clean it up and it'll be easier to lure more people in here once you guys have fixed the uh, place it's like, yeah you earned a pass like you didn't have to do that that's all right i'm gonna have to rethink this different strategy <laughs> but I, i'm with you there and also even though we were just playing on the sort of old school hillbilly slasher trope of getting past the moment of no return This does invert a normal horror trope in which all of these girls would have been safe had they fucked or already been wed. Exactly. That's a solid fucking point, dude. Most of the time, you see the other way around. You have sex in a horror movie, you're dead. Yeah, you're you're donezo. If these girls would have had sex... They're safe. They're safe. The whole reason that they're targets, they haven't had sex. Yeah. Unwed virgins. Boy, what an appetite. Mm. Now, here's something I read. Okay. This is getting back maybe 30 seconds ago for what you said about the aunt. And in one of these booklets that I have, the person who wrote this, they ascribed the aunt as being a cross between a canto plain Miss Havisham, which is a uh, kind of like a way of saying that she was left at the wedding altar to wither and when her betrothed went off to war. And... A classic half feline, half herodon, which is like a witch, essentially. Japanese monstrosity, which is called a kaibyo, which is a vengeful soul capable of constant transmigration between the handy vessels of a woman and a cat. Oh, shit. Okay. I was like, hmm, see, that's why it helps to know some of this stuff. Because once again, some film directors like to incorporate some of their cultural upbringing and what have you. And some of this maybe can be rooted in Shintoism. Mm Mm-hmm you know, Japanese mythology and what have you. So this is a little bit of that, but it makes sense in this context. Because that's basically what the aunt and the cat in combination are. Yeah. Although the way it's described, it does sound like the house is also kind of a cursed place and that's Mm -hmm. mixed into it as, yeah, at this point, just being part of the personality almost. Right, right. It was just kind of the breeding ground for, I guess, that possession or whatever, that spirit. I think think you, you hit the nail on the head, kind of like a shining type thing. Yeah. Sort of a, an evil genius loci, a cursed genius loci mixed in with those other things that you just mentioned. Yeah, which is kind of a, a perfect combination of all of that, mm-hmm. you know? 
And these girls got lured in. Here's something too I want to know. This is all kind of in the same realm. Something that tipped me off immediately, if you didn't already notice about the cat, is the cat was the first one to actually open up the gates mm. to get them in. And it immediately jumps into the aunt's lap and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like they're they're familiar. But once the girls are in the house and the aunt's like, you know, speaking to the chandelier and the chandelier does its thing and it starts to that's when you already know, like, something's not right already, man. What the hell? Well, the chandelier <laughs> does its thing, but then Kung Fu does her thing. She does. And while she's jumping And that's another point where I just about shit myself <laughs> laughing because I was like, hold up. Yeah, we're getting this in this movie. I, I love it. We're getting fucking I kick ass for the Lord in this movie. Yeah, Kung Fu, I'll go ahead and say, is probably one of my favorite characters in the film. Oh, Kung Fu kicks so much ass. He's awesome. Oh, Kung Fu's so fucking great. Anyway, what were you saying about it falling? I, I feel like I noticed something about when that shit Yeah, falling, so, but... it, you know, right after the on is like, you know, Chandelier, please shine on for them. You know, mm-hmm. she's speaking about the girls and it does. And then you see that little green sparkle and then it drops down and hits some li- little lizard or whatever. But when Kung Fu is jumping to protect, I think it's sweet. Who's on the staircase or whatever. And she does her Kung Fu kick. You can kind of see it. If you pause it in between, you see the cat jumping in combination with Kung Fu, which is kind of interesting, but the cat winds up eating the lizard, Ew. you know, and that's when you can kind of tell shit's kind of like, what the fuck was that all about? It's not just a house that's falling apart. It's like she's almost commanding these things. So it's obvious that Auntie slash the house gets more powerful as she's able to cause these deaths that she's feeding off of. Is killing that lizard how she was able to get enough to kill Mac in like 10 minutes? Yeah, I think there's some illusions right now and then later on as well. If she managed to get one of the other ones, bonus. But she's getting that lizard for sure. Yeah, and that's just just enough, like a snack. Mm -hmm. Just enough to keep you going, give you a little boost of energy. Yeah, until you get a bigger meal. Because as cuckoo fucking crazy bonkers as this movie gets, like there's an internal logic to it. Precisely, I... 100% 100% agree with that. And it's not just because I'm agreeing with you. It's like, no, you can explain this stuff as the film progresses. Some of it is... Oh, I mean, it's silly and goofy. Yeah. But it makes sense, too, in theory. Like, I can't fully explain <laughs> the fucking worst pillow fight of all time. Oh, yeah. But by that point, you're like, it's just the house. Exactly. And by that point, the house has enough power because it's killed enough people that... If you're within its bounds, you're fucked. It's just a matter of how it wants to get you. Yeah, exactly. Now, keep in mind, too, a lot of this was the ideas of his daughter at the time, Mm -hmm. who was 10 or 11. So he didn't want to use adult imagination for creating these scenarios because... So if it's childish and doesn't make sense, it's because it's created by a fucking 10-year-old and... They can create things that are scary that don't make sense. They're just telling you what fucking scares them. What scares them, and that's something that scared her, a lot of these situations. And I feel like, because from this point through most of the rest of the movie, it's just almost a series of connected vignettes that are these scenarios dreamt up by like a 10, 11-year-old, or however old she was. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where... I haven't watched enough of either of these people actually to make a super informed call. But of the two, I would describe this less of a 
Scooby-Doo done by Bava so much as a Scooby-Doo done by Fulci, just because ah, it's yeah. kind of dream logic-y in the way that it makes the jumps. But Good point. I see either. Like I, I mean, honestly, too, I think if Argento would have had his way with having younger women, oh, younger women, younger girls in Suspiria, mm. you could see how maybe his vision same... had some of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the scenarios are from a younger girl's perspective. I guess it's not quite bleak enough for Fulci. Yeah, because, you know. <laughs> Maybe Bava is the better Paul. Yeah, Bava, because, you know, it's <laughs> surreal and has these really cool Technicolor kind of schemes. So does Argento. But the whole point is it's Italian in nature and cinematography and what have you. So I, I, I do like that, which is neat coming from Japan, too. Mac pops off because she's hungry. Mm-hmm. They go to find Mac. Well, we have to mention because of the watermelon. Right. Because that's where you keep watermelons is down the fucking well. Yeah, that was another one of those commentaries between the old way of doing things and the modern way where, you know, of course the modern thing's broken, so we have to do it the traditional way. Which is putting a watermelon down the fucking well to keep it chill. (laughs) It's like, all right, I get it. Not my first thought, but okay, I get it. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what else what I would do. No, but it makes sense. If there's a stream nearby, maybe... Like, yeah, corral it in a fucking stream. Anything but. to keep it chill, bro. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But you're right. She goes out to the well. We don't hear from her. No, she goes missing. They do mention that they like to play hide and seek. So they're just chalking it up as, oh, maybe she's starting off the game. She's hiding from us. They're coming up with every excuse for her on fucking Earth. Fantasy, the one who daydreams, the one who's would be the stoner if we were going off of tropes. <laughs> right she's like no the fucking horny stoner yeah (laughs) yeah well it's interesting to note her fate later on in the film all right there's connections being made here all right so (laughs) she wants that banana she loves bananas (laughs) i was about to slip up and i ain't about to do that but anyway oh yeah with mac and the the watermelon so she's she's going missing so they send fantasy off to go find her and she's the one who pulls up the rope initially and finds the head. And that's where I'm like, oh, shit, this is getting like, all right, this is getting a little bonkers now. Well, she pulls up the head and I was like, oh, fuck, that's crazy. And then the head flies up and flies after her and bites her on the ass. And I was like, what the fuck movie am I watching? Yeah, she likes the groceries, too. <laughs> Eat the booty like the groceries. Yeah, she puts her head on her, and then, if you know, of course, it freaks fantasy out. She runs inside the house and explains it to the girls. They're like, I don't think so. This makes me even happier that we have some of the films coming up that we do. Oh, I know. It's going to get so It's going to get silly in here. <laughs> We're going to be some silly boys coming up these next couple months. All right, here's something, here's something cool. A little trivia here. Make a real quick reference. So when... House first came out in theaters. It mm-hmm. was double billed with another film, and the film's actually made reference in one of these upcoming lines, which is actually kind of interesting. So, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So when Fantasy runs into the house after her encounter with Mac, I think it's Professor who's like looking down at her, and one of the girls says, Hearts in the Mud? That was the name of the film that was the top billing, the A film of the double billing, oh, along shit. with House. Right. And along with it, there was a duo who starred in a lot of like romance films from this time period. 
They were known as Momotomo. Okay. And Tomo, the male character out of those films who starred in Hearts in the Mud, is the fiance of the aunt in the vignettes. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of cool incorporating. So if you went and saw this as part of the double feature. He was like a it... heartthrob at that time as well, like a teenage heartthrob. But if you, in the time, like, you're already having this weird surreal horror movie going on. But if you were to actually go see this in its intended release form as part of this double feature, it would actually get real world meta right like at you in Man. the moment. What the fuck? That That's be, a mind fuck. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't know how many more times trippy, but like now this is what the hell is going on? <laughs> what am I watching? What are these films? That would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. It explains some of its success too with the younger crowd, because they said that, you know, the younger crowd ate this stuff up. But Toho didn't want that to be its reputation either at the time, so they put kind of a, the brakes on it. So I don't know if I could necessarily explain how we know, but we kind of know at this point from what we've seen on screen that some of what's going on is absolutely real and it's just crazy fucking shit brought to life by evil magic, and some of it is just illusion yeah so when the girls are eating watermelon that's max head right <laughs> yeah it's what has led you to believe that, that yeah it's her head which is like i'm not crazy weird. for thinking that when no, i was watching no, no, that no, scene no. no not not whatsoever dude i was thinking the same thing it's like they're eating her it's like what happened she got transmigrated into the watermelon and then the eyeball mouth thing felt that was super fucking evil dead to me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fucking straight was out like, of evil dead. Now the aunt's fucking with her, yes. <laughs> that was fucking good. I like it, yeah. And they just chalk it up to fantasy, literally having a daydream, a fantasy. It's like, you're just imagining that, quit having a fantasy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that where they all kind of break off and everything just sort of starts happening to them separately? For the most part, I think after, let's see here. Some of them meet back up again, but they all kind of go off and do their own thing for a second. And shit starts to happen. Because, like, Kung Fu goes out to take the bath. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Gor Gorgeous goes out. She's the one who takes the bath. Oh, that's right. Right, right. I think it's Sweetie, one of those girls. She's, she's the one who's, like, kind of cleaning the floors or whatever. And then... Yeah, Kung Fu goes out to chop the wood because the steam or whatever, the, the water, it needs more steam, so she goes out. So yeah, every one of these girls starts to have their own little interactions. Some of it starts to kick off, too, as uh, oh. professors get in the water. Well, we, get, we have that moment where fucking Kung Fu fights off the fucking like flying logs or flying stakes or whatever the fuck they are and then we have the moment of seeing auntie clearly repowered some going around the house <laughs> and basically everything that she touches comes into play later on yeah and it's kind of like she's setting up all of her fucking traps and that part is a trip including fucking Blanche being fast forwarded and rewinded with her oh meows God damn, going dude. in That's... fucking melody with the music. Right. Thinking back on the first time I watched this film, that was one of those moments where if I wanted else, to laugh, but I was just too like, what is I was like, it's part surreal because it is, but it also has this very 
sentimental feel too because of the way the song plays out mm-hmm. and the meows. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> like, this is kind of endearing in a way. It's kind of, you're not really supposed to feel this way because of the nature of the film. But I was like, it is kind of endearing. And it's like, all right, you got me. I'm one over. This, <laughs> let's see what happens from here on out. Well, it's kind of, it's an interesting way of showing reality being broken in these spots to set these magical traps. Yeah. You know, what's cool too, is there's a little bit of that where it seems like the aunt is moving quicker in time than the girls are in her wheelchair Mm -hmm. because it's like, there's a slowdown of the girls where they're almost not even moving. And then she gets into her spot and then it's like, they're back in quote unquote real time. So I, I thought that was clever, too. It lets you know there's some weird warping going on, too, with space and time within the walls of the house, I suppose. All right. So then shit starts going kind of weird, right? It does. It certainly does. It was a bit harder to track from here on out because it keeps jumping around to the different groups of girls. And I had a hard time memorizing each one of them. I, I've got I kind of think I got it mapped out. So the first thing I got is Gorgeous goes off to take her bath. Okay. Right? When she's doing that, Sweet becomes enthralled by a doll because Blanche comes out of this room and she leaves the door open for her to go in, Sweet that is, and that's where she sees the doll. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So that's Sweet's encounter because I think she's also looking for the futons, as she puts it, the mattresses. Right. Okay. Okay. Then I put Gorgeous is visited by Mac. And I don't mean Mac like the head. It's her hair. And the reason I know that is because you see a part of her ribbon coming up out of the water, too. Mm. So it's like the part where you see her hair coming over her shoulder and up her back. Oh, shit. Okay, I got you. I was like, oh, I, I wouldn't have noticed that maybe the first time or maybe even the second time through. Because that little piece of ribbon comes up and it's oh, green. I was like, oh, that's Max's hair. Okay. Max fucking with her now. I missed the ribbon. Yeah, I thought that was really clever. And it's like that's when Kung Fu starts to chop the wood for gorgeous that you know help get the steam back up i was like that's when the auntie enters the refrigerator because mm-hmm. fantasy and professor are cleaning up and she drops the plates and then the auntie breaks the fourth wall and does her thing on the beam that's right and then the, yeah the whole song plays out she's fucking with the skeleton the cat's doing the back and forth and i was like yeah that's when you know that this is crazy. This is going crazy. There's times in the background that they don't call attention to where if music's being played, that skeleton's jiving. Oh, dude. <laughs> Fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, especially with Melody. He's... Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's something, too, that was noted by the director. It's right after the auntie is, like, eating, um, assuming it's Max's forearm or whatever. Right, okay. Right, and it looks like she might be... It, hinted at maybe drinking her blood as well, mm-hmm. right? Because she's regaining youth and her vitality. And I was like, that's where it shifts. Literally, this film splits in half. Like that starts the literal second half of the film. And this is where uh, Gorgeous is led upstairs by Blanche into her aunt's room. And this is, you can read into it, this is where she becomes fully possessed. That part was really cool because it's both a really fucking, like it's a trip And then once you realize later in the film that she became possessed by her or entwined with her in some way, then like the visuals of it, I don't want to say they make sense, but you can make them make sense. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's still a little bit of that commentary from earlier I was mentioning with the whole, you know, Japan 
post-World War II and the ramifications mm. of maybe disappearing family members and shit like that, friends, et cetera, because of what happened. Maybe that's why you see the flame as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you're going to read into it, it maybe it makes a little bit more sense, you know, that he's throwing his background stuff into it. That's what I'm getting at. Not just his daughter's stuff, maybe some of his stuff. Well, and I just like the idea of like it's looking into the mirror and it changing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But looking into the mirror and it changing while at the same time you become the mirror and then both break and what's there flows into you. You know what it reminded me of too? I don't know if they used it. If they did, it, they were way ahead of their time. Was It reminded me of the scene with um, Linnea Quigley in Night of the Demons when she's doing her own mm. makeup thing. You know, the makeup, looking into the mirror, it has a similar feel to it. That's where possession's starting to happen. And I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. Okay, so there's one other thing that it reminded me of, kind of. <laughs> yeah. This combined with one of the scenes later on, when, when we see what's going on when Kung Fu finally dies, and it kind of implies that they're all still stuck in the house, or at least their spirits are. Right, yeah. Combined yeah. with like this makeup sequence, <laughs> it reminded me of flowers. Oh, dude, yeah, that's crazy, but you're right. And I would say the common thread, and it's no coincidence that a house is a character, a mm-hmm. main character in all those films. You know, you could argue that it's the central character. But yeah, I would agree. It has a feel like all those films. You could say maybe this was the foundational film for all that. Right. Coincidentally enough. It's fucking weird. I know. It, it is super weird, but here she is. <laughs> I, and I'm glad because it's so wild and it really is ahead of its time, too, when you think about you can throw in all this crazy, silly shit, still make sense of all of it, still have a meaning, <laughs> you know, be profound all these years later. But yeah, any, anywho, getting back to this shit, along with Gorgeous being possessed at that time too, I was like, this is where the music, that particular piece too, I think they refer to it as like the lover's theme. Okay. All right. You know, the aunt mm-hmm. and her fiance. So I think it's Gorgeous has like this little makeup box or whatever it is, and it plays that music. And then the sheet music was set up earlier by the aunt right. for Melody to play. And so she starts to play it. And I was like, that now the house is starting to become a little bit more lively with music intertwined too, mm-hmm. with not just the traps being set. And as that's happening, I put, uh, oh yeah, that's when um, Melody first gets bit. And it attracts the attention of a like, kung fu and professor. And that's when Sweet starts getting attacked by those mattresses. Right, and like that was cool because you kind of got the idea of what was going on, but in the end, it's kind of just the worst pillow fight of all time. It was, it was said. silly. It was silly. I mean, some of the camera shots were kind of neat, you know, and in the context of seeing it maybe from the lens of a 10 or 11 year old girl, yeah, have a mattresses fall on top of you and you can't do anything about it probably is a frightening feeling. The weirdest part of that is it leads to the panty sniffing. Oh, that's what I'm getting at. There's some weird shit going on there, too. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, here's her bra. Here's her, you know, like you were saying, her panties. And they're like, something smells. He's like, yeah, her panties. But they find Blanche, the cat, right, and the doll. And it's like, oh, yeah. So you're starting to see this transference of stuff with Mm -hmm. objects. And I thought that was, it's clever. I mean, it makes sense. Well, it's kind of implied that she's nude. The doll's nude. It's kind of implied that she got turned into the doll. But then what happened to the other doll that was there before? Or did she just get sucked into the doll? And how many other people are sucked in the doll then? There's something visually 
it's weird to say this, but it reminded me of Bones a little bit last week. It was a little bit later on where Kung Fu, where she has that blue backdrop with all those faces, and she's yeah. like, Matt. she's calling out her friends, basically, Melody. I was like, maybe she's seeing all the other souls, those faces that have been there before, that have been trapped, because they make mention it's eaten all these young women, unmarried women. It makes you wonder how, because there's a gap, mm-hmm. you know, in years, too. So anyhow, I thought that was kind of clever. It's like maybe she's interacting with this spirit world with all these other different spirits within it, not just her friends. Yeah. Anyway, the melody part's next, which is fucking cuckoo crazy. <laughs> that is, oh, man, if there that is ever awesome. a cuckoo. I fucking, this might be one of my favorite sequences of the entire fucking movie. It's so weird because as hinted at before, it tried to bite her. Yeah. She had to go back to fucking playing. It's pretty wild, man. And then her fingers get bit off and she looks happy about it. Then it fucking eats her in one of the most crazy chopped up fucking montages I've ever seen. It's wild. And ends with what, like her spirit Uh, popping up beside a front shot of the piano while her legs are still popping out of it. What's funny is she's like, oh, that's naughty. Yeah. And saying, oh, my, that's naughty. <laughs> All right, let's let's put a pause there just for a second. Rewind just just a little bit before that sequence. With the goldfish over top. That is fucking. It's funny, man. All that shit in the skeleton too, and that whole sequence. That's and just all funny the goldfish made me think of was the fucking epic music video. Faith <laughs> no more. Yeah, I do want to say this really quick. It took me maybe the th- second or third viewing to really make sense of this part of the film. Is when the girls go upstairs and they rerun. When I say rerun, they they run back into Gorgeous because she had been upstairs the whole time, right? They kind of hear her singing that theme song. Oh, yeah. And when she goes downstairs, that's when I knew, like, 100% for sure she's possessed. It becomes super dreamlike. It slows down a little bit, and her mm. voice... Oh, yeah, I remember when it does... Sounds modulated a little bit because when she answers to them, it's almost like you can hear two voices mm. at the same time. And if that's not enough, when she goes to make the phone call, you hear like people on the other line sound like they're screaming for help and shit. <laughs> and she's like, it's out of order. I'll just walk. All right. And if that's that not part, enough. That part felt Fulci. Oh, yeah. Super dreamlike. Super like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I can't argue there. She decides to leave. And of course, it freaks fantasy out. But that's when, all right, if you're not sold already, the house literally shutters itself up and that's when nowhere that's why where are you going is it that's why melody decides to play well she actually gets smacked on the butt by kung fu and she's like you know let's play some music to calm us down to relax us and that's when she gets attacked and all that shit and that's when it really starts to kick off the the whole bonkers because now the house is like if you want to say it's fully awake or like it's starting to really you know, get the crust off its eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah, these girls are starting to get fucked with bad now. Yeah, you've already mentioned what happens to Melody. Yeah, that part's fucking crazy. Gorgeous ends up in the bridal gown. Yeah, because that's when Professor and Kung Fu go upstairs, yeah. And when she moves, you find the journal. Yeah. Right, and then as it downstairs... Which lays out... I'm surprised how much gets explained in this movie. Yeah, which is okay. I think, you know... I have nothing against no, it. No, no, no. I but just thought it, it was it weird. It does that spell you it out completely. Like, here you go. 
if you couldn't make sense of all this before, this is what's happening. <laughs> Let's get everybody caught up to speed. Right. And go. Maybe for like our American audiences who don't understand this bonker <laughs> shit. <laughs> right? But yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially what it spells out as a professor starting to read it. I didn't note that um, Fantasy gets knocked out during that whole time when she's trying to pull Melody off the bench when she's getting attacked. So that's what's happened to um, Fantasy downstairs. Because mm. the girls go back downstairs, they try to wake her up with the intention of like Mr. Togo's, you know, on his way. But this fool stopped and got some ramen. That was kind of weird, like that bear in the sequence. Who's driving? Bear's driving. <laughs> like, all right, because that's funny because when she kind of snaps out of it, it's the fucking, the dude who's like, the noodles are good. Mm-hmm. That's the face she sees as it, it, the scene changes. Right. I was like, that's kind of trippy, man. That's kind of good, though. All right, so the next little thing I've got that happens in between that is they hear Gorgeous, and Gorgeous's huge head comes on the wall and explains oh, to them, like, I'm in my aunt's world. And she's basically saying that the house wants to eat you all, so let me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking hungry. Yeah, uh, but she also explains like uh, what I thought was really cool. There, like, there's this sequence where she's explaining all that shit too, and she's like, "This is what she says." She says her aunt's been dead for several years, but she wanted to marry so badly. Her body remained, and now she devours unmarried girls. We've already said that, but she says also that's the only time she can wear a bridal gown. Oh, right. and that's when you see like that spirit coming. Like, oh damn, this feels so fucking Japanese right now. <laughs> This is awesome. Right? The house kind of like animated style, but grows. Mm-hmm. The spirit comes out. And that's when I said the Kaibyo reveals itself. And uh, Kung Fu starts to ward off like all the items because she wants to get the telephone. She's like, she don't believe the what telephone. Gorgeous said. <laughs> but the fucking telephone attacks her. She comes back in the room. That's what I think Professor starts to put it together that because she's reading that Blanche the cat is the connection. That's well, why you is- see all the cat figure shit this is when i was like wait they're gonna turn this into the crow (laughs) there's something that keeps it attached so we know at this point intrinsically from what we've been shown just how powerful the house is within its own environs do you think hitting the cat actually hurt the house at all or was that just the house fucking with them some. Oh, that's a solid question. Or both. I would say, yeah. the house kind of knew that, like, the auntie shell had to get shed at some point for her to... Transference to, to transfer the younger. anyway. Right? Keep the bloodline going, too. So maybe too. they... It let it hurt auntie? Like, I don't know. Like, it seems to me that the house is too powerful for that to actually... Yeah, I think at this moment in time, too, there's a little bit of me that's like, yeah, you know, the cat does have this pull too. It's part of the the trinity of things mm-hmm. for all of that shit to work. So yeah, it's like damaging a part of it. But, but because the girls in this instance are still getting devoured in the house, it's still regaining energy no matter how much you've just damaged that picture. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be enough. Yeah, you're going to have to do more than that. Because you still have, literally the house is still encapsulated. You just maybe hurt the painting. Mm-hmm. You damage the cat. You still got the aunt slash gorgeous to deal with in the house to deal with that's no you're fucked (laughs) you're fucked which of course the house does kind of immediately turn it back around on them with like the blood filling up the room and so we didn't (laughs) the cat got kicked 
by Kung Fu's lower half after her top half was devoured by like this light fixture. Which that part was cool because that was kind of the house fucking with time for a second. It was. Because it's like Kung Fu made this one mistake where she got up in the fucking light and the house rewound time to take advantage of when she was in that light of taking control of the that's light and wild, getting on her. man, isn't it? And that's also the same moment where she encounters Mac and Melody and... And that's the thing, like, that scene's kind of implying, like, when you get ate by the house, you're still stuck in, like, the house's fucking hell purgatory, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's how I read it. Also, in the, the floaty head-slash-body part sequence, whose tits are they? <laughs> Uh, you know, there's some floating disembodied tits. You're right. Like, it's I guess right it's, a, it's a torso. But nonetheless, it's not just the tits. No, but, but they're there. But who's? <laughs> All right, we did see. If who's we're going to go that route, point? you have Professor. No, no, Professor's still alive at that point. So Mac is dead. Melody's dead. Melody's dead. Sweet is dead. That still leaves what a fantasy. Okay, so that still leaves those four girls alive. Then gorgeous Professor fantasy and kung fu all four of them would still be alive at this point with kung fu on the verge of being dead at this point too or arguably dead but we're seeing right, it but, from her viewpoint right right right. you're right so you could say that the other three are still there fantasy so it would have to be sweet melody or mac we the only end person up we, see, saw in, we end up seeing gorgeous's tits yeah we so saw hers not her there was a sequence where melody it appeared like she was getting new but we never saw her tits per se when the piano was eating her. Oh, right. So I don't know if those were hers. I know this is a weird conversation now, but and we, whose tits in, were these? In like two minutes, we see Professor Nude. Right, but that but was... it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, also you already made allusions to it. Like... There's... Yeah, time isn't quite normal. Maybe there's a foreshadow moment there. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say sweet. Yeah, perhaps. Sweet tits. Well... Plus, she was the one that got stripped nude when she got killed. You're right. That's a solid point. So I'm leaning towards that. I think that's solid. I think you got a solid argument there. I mean, whether or not that was actually Sweet's <laughs> actress. <laughs> but in this argument within the, the frames, that's where I'm going towards. That was just the weird part. I was sitting there and I was like, okay, head, head. Like there was like, I, I think there was an arm and like a foot maybe, yeah. something like that. I got a question for you. What do you make of Togo's encounter with the watermelon vendor? So the watermelon vendor is dead, right? He's an extension of the house. Absolutely, 100%. But his answer was what was silly. It was funny, but it kind of somewhat makes sense. And here's why I say this. Even if he would have answered watermelon, like, do you like mm -hmm. watermelon? Do you want to have said yes? I still don't think the house would have let him in because he wasn't auntie's fiance. And that appears to be the only male that will let in the house. Also, as Professor points out, he never promised the house he would be there. He only promised her he would be there. Right. And it even makes mentions like you didn't promise the house or auntie that you're coming. So he got turned to bananas because that was his answer. I would have to go back and see exactly how they talked about it earlier in the movie or right when they were leaving to go to auntie's house but i think they make it clear that gorgeous was unaware that togo was still going to show up until fantasy mentions it right before they leave something like that yeah in which case if we're going by 
a part of Gorgeous has been Auntie the entire time, then he also didn't tell Gorgeous that he was going to be there. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But I was like, that's kind of neat. I think that was kind of clever. It's not just a silly thing that happened. It still has a meaning with how this film is telling its story. So, all right, we're almost done with this point. So, all right, this is where paintings been kicked. Pre- yeah. Professor and Fantasy are stranded in the pool of blood because now the floorboards and everything's been parted, <laughs> right? Unfortunately for Professor, she gets knocked into the fucking pool, if you will. And the funny part is because this film, believe it or not, was influenced by Jaws. I don't know how much you read into this or not. Right. Right, because of its success and, mm-hmm. you know, the direction that Japanese cinema wanted, to, they wanted to kind of maybe follow that direction, make these blockbusters and what have you. So I think that's why the can, as silly as it looks, was shaped the way it was and attacked oh, Professor okay. the way yeah, it did, yeah. you know, why she maybe she died in the pool. So that's what happens. Fantasy, meanwhile, gets floated all the way to the stairs where Gorgeous comes down. And to fantasy, it appears like she's saved, right? So my argument maybe to what you were saying earlier, and not maybe an argument, but maybe like in combination with what you're saying, maybe to add a little bit to what you're saying, is maybe fantasy was safe for less because she was the most horned up. Yeah, maybe. Well, and we start off this movie. She's the one who saw a little bit beyond the illusion too. She kind of called it out for what it was. And the the moment of no return was based upon a slasher trope, and she, in that case, would be the final girl. She was waiting on her night. He got killed off. I mean, that really kind of ended her love promise thing, because that's kind of what this film says here in just a minute about that, right? (laughs) So, unfortunately for fantasy, she does see the reflection of Auntie through Gorgeous, Mm-hmm. Right. And then gorgeous. She gets her like her top ripped a little bit, exposing her breast and fantasy just basically just, you know, just take care of me, mother. So that pretty much I mean that you would expect that like that's it for her. I was like, wait, so fantasy gets the visitor cue ending. I was thinking that maybe she gets like a little bit of the Tokyo Gore police ending. Yeah, she gets consumed by the breast. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, you know. Right. In any way, she seems to get the most peaceful of the endings. I agree. If she it appears that ending, way. We don't see what happened to her. No, you're right. We don't. We don't know for sure. I mean, from what we know of the house, we assume something happens to her in a big bad way. And there's nothing shown we in the scene it, enough to make you assume otherwise. Because yeah. she doesn't show up again in the movie. No, no, no. Here's another thing, too. In that sequence is you get to see the glow, the green glow mm-hmm. in Gorgeous's eyes. All right, so the next sequence that we get is Ryoko, future stepmom to Gorgeous. She said earlier in the film to Gorgeous's father that she wanted to visit Gorgeous at her aunt's home a little bit later on after she visited the countryside so she, she could speak to her alone. This is her moment. The whole time, the whole, the whole fucking time that she's going up there, she's just like super glamorized. Mm-hmm. Everything she does is kind of like, ah. Oh. You know, she sees like the bananas and everything becomes like, to me, this is like, this is so over the top silly, but I like it still. She finally runs into Gorgeous. Gorgeous opens the shutters of the home. They have their conversation and you know what's going to happen because A, she's not quite her stepmother yet. She's she's still unmarried. Yeah. So she's the next one in my 
opinion is going to be devoured by the house. And the house is super powerful. Now. Oh, it's charged up now. It's got As soon as she shows up, it's like walking into like a fantasy realm. That's maybe why that whole trip up there, everything seems like that. Yeah, like a fantasy to her, mm-hmm. you know, almost like a Disney film, you know. I mean, here's what I liked. Here's what could have been the tagline per se. It's right after Ryoko's like, where are your friends? She's like, oh, my friends are, they're sleeping. You know, when they wake, they'll be hungry. That's what she tells her. But then she says, even after the flesh perishes, one cliff in the hearts of others together with the feelings one has for them. Therefore, the story of love must be told many times so that the spirit of lovers may live forever, forever. The one thing that never perishes, the only promise is love. And that's that. And then, you know, rolls credits. Well, she lights her on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like you see that like kind of like uh, her experience she had upstairs in her aunt's. With the mirror. Yeah, so. It's not quite the same, but yeah. But no, no, you kind of get an idea of like, that's her fate. Her fate's already been sealed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that means she's going to be the next one to be transferred or just maybe or consumed, she's just devoured. Her. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless, it's like, okay, that's, I like this. This is kind of interesting. The story makes sense, even as silly as it is. It makes sense with what it's saying. Social commentary wise too, you can say, you know, there's this young generation who don't understand the significance of what that meant, that kind of love meant to this older generation because of the impact of war and, you know, its impact it had. And now things are more westernized to mm-hmm. Japan. And, you know, like, for example, when the girls first enter the home, one of the girls calls out to Melody. She's like, take your shoes off, you know. So there's simple things like that that they're forgetting. Mm. You know, that's why they make these silly little comments on something that's like, an atomic bomb mushroom cloud, although it might look like cotton candy to you, is not cotton. It's not sweet. That's <laughs> it, atrocious. So little stuff like that. It's like this film has a lot more going on than just the bonkers shit you see on screen. Well, and we've commented on it before, and it's not something that we're super versed in to be able to talk about the nuances of, but you see this come up a lot in Japanese horror of the idea of the old versus the new and the young versus the old. Absolutely, dude. I was thinking that too. Like, I wonder how much maybe Shinya Tsukamoto was influenced by Haosu. Right. You know, or some of these other directors too we've already mentioned. Because these problems only got worse. This yeah. divide only got worse as it went on. Right. And and it changed a little bit. Absolutely, man. But this was like some of the beginnings of that divide. I think that was an interesting, you know, kind of a meta thing that was happening too around the same time this film came out was how cinema was changing at the same time. Prior to this, we've may mentioned this too with Toho, right? Because of the Godzilla films and all that shit. Uh, what do they call it? Kaiju and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? That was because of World War II, a lot of those sentiments, the fallout, nuclear era and you know, if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't have this. And so this ushered in this phase. And then you had another phase of manga going into capitalism and westernization and industrialization of, of Japan. And we've made commentary already with some of this stuff. So it's like, that's it's kind of interesting. This film was right kind of in the middle of that. And it happened to also kind of steer a different direction in cinema too in Japan. It had success, kind of maybe a little unfounded success in Japan, even though it was panned by critics, the youth, like I mentioned earlier, like ate this up. But Toho didn't want this to be a signature moving forward. Mm. It just so happened to be like a big hit. 
And interestingly enough, even though I mentioned like it had a premiere sometime in 77 here in the States, I would imagine super limited, never got a big release up until I think it was like 2009. Yeah. When the Criterion. Unofficial Western release. Yeah. Eureka, I think, came out first and then Criterion picked it up second. But they were both within a year of each other, right? 2009, 2010. And that's when it kind of got that cult following here because critics here in the States were like, no, this is a pretty fucking good film. Even though, yeah, we had made, I don't know how many mentions of it. There's some bonkers, trippy, psychedelic, surreal shit going on, but there is a story to be told. I mean, I'd like to point out, just because I know I follow enough of the broader popular culture news to know that a lot of people signed up for hbo max when they announced that all the warner oh, movies man. of this year are going to be dropping simultaneously on hbo max and the criterion version is on there <sighs> so, so if you happy. have that shit you check, can go it check out. out this movie really easily yeah all right <laughs> i would be remiss if i don't at least mention this because i you know we're nerds and can't help it but i made mention earlier about how nobihiko obayashi the director got involved with this project to begin with, right? And I made mention because of its success with a lot of commercials and because Toho was going through a phase where they didn't really want to get into doing softcore porn. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, well, let's see what some of this independent avant-garde, you know, surrealistic group can do, you know, like pitch us an idea. And that's when he asked his daughter, like, you know, what scares you? What are some of the things, you know, that a young girl your age is frightened of? And so he pitched the idea. They liked it, but because of the way that the infrastructure at Toho worked is that they didn't hire directors who weren't and like somehow already attached to Toho, you know, at oh. whatever level. But because he was independent, they started going after other guys, but other guys didn't want it. Mm. And during that time period, though, they did allow him to promote the film. And the oh, way he shit. did this okay. was by having a manga series. Also by getting uh, Godaigo the band I had mentioned earlier, who also happened to be in the film, they're the dudes at the train depot while the girls are waiting to, you know. Oh, right, right. They're the guys that kind of send them off. If you freeze frame it, it looks like the one white guy in the group. You can see it. He's got the T-shirt on, Godaigo. Mm. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But anyway, he got them to do the soundtrack. And they also did a, a live radio broadcast of the screenplay. There was like slight differences at the time, but they already had this film like hyped up before it was even fucking filmed you know so toho because they knew that and because they couldn't get anybody else they're like went ahead and gave obayashi free reign and it was one of the producers he watched it he's like i don't know what's going on so i don't want you to change anything i don't want you to try to make it make sense to me he's like i want you to do this but i want you to gear it towards a younger audience and so mm. that's what happened and that's why he got this project and because of this project he went on to do other projects but it helped that when he was in film school, and we've talked about this too with Shinya, and this is what makes me maybe think that Shinya was influenced by Obayashi is because he used that pixelation, the stop motion technique oh, okay. that's used in this film when Mr. Togo is going down the stairs and gets trapped right. in the bucket and all that shit. He was using that stuff in his commercials. He was mm. using it in his short films at film school, and he carried it on in this film. Okay. So he was using little bits of elements and his independent films, his short films, et cetera. And so I thought, okay, this is kind of neat, a neat vehicle, a mainstream vehicle for him to use some of his old techniques that you don't really see a lot, if at all, in mm -hmm. film. You know, So I thought that was really cool. 
you know, and that's why you get these connections and why you get these girls in this because they had worked with him in commercials. That's why when you see like frames of these girls, they look, I mean, they're pretty girls. They look like they could be models. They were models. <laughs> you know, so it makes sense. Even Mac, which is funny when you think like her character is supposed to, it sounds like she's supposed to be this fat girl, eats hamburgers all the time, but. Honestly, no. thinking back on it, I think Melody might have been chunkier than Mac. I'm shaking my head. You can't see me, but I, <laughs> you know, but and any. That's not to yeah. put down Melody. I'm yeah. just saying that like. But think about it. I was like, where else have we seen this in Japanese cinema? We saw it with Tetsuo. Mm-hmm. You know, this predates Tetsuo. I'm not saying that he was biting off him. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they had similar visions. Maybe they're from the same school of thought or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they. They have certain influence. Anyway, the whole point is I feel like that was kind of neat. I feel like there's a lot of movies that we've watched that we really like that this probably laid the foundation it's, for. It's, it's how much of a foundation of I can't say because yeah. it was mostly culty and underground, but it was it was weaved in there in some way. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, to what extent I don't know. I it's hard for me to say. I don't know. But it's but. obvious that it pioneered some of these ideas and yeah. things that proliferated later and i think it's fascinating man to think of that too because i think possibly this is just my opinion on it like when you're trying to tell a person about this film unless they have like an hour and a half two hours to talk about it in depth your brief interaction with them is going to be like trying to pitch them like this is like an acid trip in a house with these seven girls and <laughs> it's trying to eat them <laughs> well and think about all these movies that we keep comparing it but to you're right like many of them come after at best, like, we've compared it to Suspiria a couple times, same year. Like, there's yeah. no influence being taken. He's just doing the same thing in well, the same time period. Yeah, both of those films, you could argue that the, the common denominator would be Bava. Yeah. So they're both kind of influenced by Bava. So that's why they have that similar feel. Mm-hmm. It definitely leans into what we think of as slasher tropes with yeah. a final girl and <laughs> the quote-unquote gas station attendant. That's a good point, dude. And the setup for the final girl, even though it's inverted from what we think of that comes uh, that's later. A trope. Yeah, this yeah. is 1977, so this would have been wow, what dude. same year as Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, this would have been what year was Halloween? 78. So predates it. Jesus, man, this is crazy. Isn't you think about it? And we've talked about some of those tropes. Light versions of them were used in earlier slashers that don't quite follow the same format of what we think of as a slasher. But, but you could say they're uh, like proto similar right? elements. Yeah, but uh, I don't think this film really gets mentioned in, in that instance of these tropes where the the pioneers of this stuff. <laughs> this is not a film I think you would think of, but here it is. It really is because that person on the side of the road—that's a moment of no return comes up time and time and time again i know as silly as it sounds there's parts of this film where i couldn't help but think of like house of 1000 corpses yeah absolutely god there was something i know that's a weird thing to compare but i mean i honestly couldn't help but feel that sometimes yeah i don't know i'm fucking i'm so glad that i watched it that's what i'm thinking right now. yeah i thought it was really cool man and just reading some of the stuff i read earlier too i will say and I could catch flack for this. I don't feel that this is a film that is quote unquote sacred. I think somebody could remake this and have a lot of fun with it. Oh my gosh. I would like to see somebody who's, you know, we, of course we've dealt with some filmmakers who could probably do pretty damn decent with it, but it would be neat to see a, a modernization of this. I'd be up for it. 
I want to see the Evil Dead remake. Why can't I think of the his name? Alvarez Fede, Fede Alvarez. I want to see the Fede Alvarez version of House. <laughs> and yeah, like you could ramp up some of the gore and stuff like that in this film. It would be over the fucking top. I want to see the Neil Marshall version of House. That would be fun. We know what he can do in confined spaces. Mm-hmm. He can weave a story in that shit. Yeah, man. It'd be kind of neat. Well, I don't know. I was like, you could do this in an anthology, but I don't know. I do want to see the Sam Raimi version of House. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be so awesome. Man, given the time period, too, like, ah, uh, if he was going to do it, it'd be, he'd have to do it now. But Yeah. Oh, man. It would be awesome to see him do it. Fetty Alvarez, too, would be a perfect pitch for that. Dude, yeah. I think that's pretty neat. Fuck, this seems so perfect for some of this shit that we know we have coming up, but I don't want to give that away. No, no, no not quite yet, I but we do have some we do have some plans. All right, one last thing before I, I send this off, or sign off, is the cat itself. I've already made mention of what the aunt is across of. The oh, cat yeah, yeah. is, that's why you see so many figurines and paintings and effigies or whatever of the cat itself, is because in mythology, mm-hmm. it's known as a uh, bakeneko, and it literally means ghost cat that's what Blanche is. It's a ghost cat. So that's why it appears and does what it does and has a twinkle in its eyes. So I was like, okay, that's why all this shit makes sense. That's why it has this this attachment. The cat's not just happenstance. It's not, oh, we could have put a dog in its place. There's a reason why the cat was in this. And there's a reason why the aunt is the way she is. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I like it. It makes sense. It reminds me, once again, of... Uh, if you're going to tackle some of um, Takashi Miike's films, it helps if you know a little, just a little bit of mythology because he likes to use that shit sometimes. Which we're still going to have to do Gozu at some point. but That's kind of what I was alluding to. I was like, <laughs> Phew, that movie, if, if you don't know anything, it's going to fuck with your mind because it's, it's wild. Next week. Oh, yes. Big 200. Man, I know, dude. That's so awesome. It's crazy. So... In the world of COVID, there was only so much that we were willing to fucking reach out and actually try to get done. So our 200th episode, we're still going to make special by making it a family affair. (laughs) That's right, man. And I think that's fun. Like, what better way to celebrate a milestone, too? I think, you know, looking back on it, man, that's it's cool. I mean, 200, 200, it seems fucking nuts, and it is. But yeah, man, it's going to be fun. So we will have special guests on. The episode's probably going to be formatted slightly differently than normal. It will probably end up being shorter based on what we're going to try to do with it, but I don't know yet. I think we're still going to hash out some of this shit over the week. But yeah, do you want to let us know who who will all be on? Yeah, so we've actually had this person on a couple of times at this point, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. Right, so we've had Jeff on, and he was, I think, our second guest on the test your fright segment because we, we had were, sean we on. were testing out how, how test your fright was going to work right and i'm trying to think jeff was on also do you remember what other episode was it we did him with ichi i'm trying to think we had him on with something else too did we ever get him on again that might have been it you might, might be right i thought we had jeff on twice but anywho jeff he'll be back and joining him his wife my sister ashley who i've talked about a lot we've had plans to have her on but, you know, she has a family, they have children, life gets in the way sometimes, but as far as we know, they're game. So we're not 100% sure what movie we'll, we will be watching with them yet, but it seems like we will be revisiting Takashi Miike's audition, re-enjoying that, 
with them as they go through it for the first time and just sort of enjoying the camaraderie part of being horror fans. Yeah, that I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, once again, we get to revisit Japan and one of our favorite directors. So, yeah, it'll be fun. And we're going to be coming down from a little bit of a horror high because we're going to go get to watch The Thing the night before. I know, dude. That's going to be fun as well. And I think they're going to join us for that oh, as awesome. well. So we'll, we'll make it so a maybe we'll talk about that some too. family weekend. Yeah, so that'll be fun, man. The whole weekend is going to be fun. Um, so that's how we're going to celebrate 200. It's not going to be anything new, something we've talked about before, just with some new voices. A new perspective, perhaps. And I don't know, just sort of, uh, like I said, uh, basking in the fun and friendships that is horror movie watching. I agree, dude. That's, that's awesome. So that's going to be next week. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.